This week I was reading a story about a, a man in New Mexico that has generated quite a stir. I don't know, has anyone heard of Forrest Finn? So he hasn't created a stir here. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, you might look him up after today. Forrest Finn is a, a gentleman toward the end of his life, and throughout his life he has been amassing a treasure. And he has this chest that he has been filling with gold. Now, if you picture a chest about this size filled with gold, this is quite a sizable treasure. And a little bit ago, and and it just came actually, he did a a while ago, a year ago, but it just came really into um, recognition. He published a book and had a poem that described where he hid this treasure. And the treasure is available for anyone that would find it. So you can imagine what happens, right? New Mexico, and, and he, he's come out and say it may not be in New Mexico. It may not be buried. Please no one leave right now and go, go looking. But in New Mexico, they're having a little bit of a gold rush. A little mini gold rush they're talking about. People are flocking there. One hotel is offering packages that you can go, stay there, and be a treasure hunter. And their phones are ringing off the hook, even at $300 a night. And... Um, Not sure who's getting the treasure there. (laughs) Finn has said he has about 19,000 emails so far. And he says most of them aren't so much mean, they're just trying to get clues. Trying to trick him into giving clues. He's gotten 13 marriage proposals. (laughs) Because apparently this treasure that he has hidden is just a small portion of his wealth. But think about that for a minute. Think about what one statement saying there is a treasure, there is something priceless that is out there waiting for you to see it. And all of a sudden, boom, all this excitement and people coming and flocking to New Mexico and following the clues. I'm not going to read you any of the clues. All over a treasure. Pretty cool treasure. I thought about that this morning as we begin to talk about the resurrection and we've been talking about Christ's sacrifice on the cross a gift much greater than any box of gold, a gift of forgiveness of sins, a gift of eternal life, a gift of life here and now. And I was thinking about how often do I flock to that? How often do I get so excited about that that I can't think of anything else? And this morning as we talk about the resurrection, we want to talk about just what the resurrection should do to our thought life, should do to our lives. What are the repercussions of the resurrection? Sometimes we focus on the cross and the sacrifice there, which is part of the gospel. But this morning we want to focus on the resurrection, which is the other part of the gospel. And say, what lasting impact does that have? When you think of the repercussions of something, that word means a lasting impact or an ongoing impact from an event. What a great way to describe the resurrection. An event that has an impact on every one of our lives, even today. Even today. So this morning, I just want to share five different things that are repercussions from the resurrection. Five impacts that the resurrection still has on our lives that show us that the resurrection is still important, it is still relevant, and Easter isn't about the bunny. It's about the resurrection. Let's pray together. Dear Lord God, as we come to your word, I pray that you would impress on us the treasure of your resurrection that you would burn an excitement for that in our hearts just as we've celebrated this morning, that today we are different 
because your resurrection changed everything. Lord, we give you our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 1. And we'd like to start with the account of the resurrection itself and then look at a few other verses that talk about the resurrection. And we'll go through these pretty quickly this morning. There's extra verses in your notes that you, I would encourage you to study. But in, in, in John, John says, For as yet they did not understand the Scriptures that He must rise from the dead. And so we know that the resurrection isn't, isn't just a cool add-on to the story. It isn't just, oh, a great little climax and they lived happily ever after. The resurrection was something that must happen. It was essential to the gospel. And so we come to Matthew 28, 1 through 10. I'd like to remind ourselves of the account of the resurrection and look at the response. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. It just passed out cold right there. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen. Amen? As He said, Come see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. And then catch verses 9 and 10. And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings. I love that, 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 that welcome. Jesus is, is he's just a down-to-earth guy that, that has, he's God, but he's God in human flesh, and it's not like, oh, you must worship me, I'm God. He, he comes to him, and the first thing he says is, hi. How you doing? As we would say, he, he said greetings. And look at the response of the women. And they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. They worshipped. The resurrection changed something. They weren't just following Him now. They were worshipping Him. Because the resurrection changed things. It proved that He was God. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell My brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see Me. The first implication of the resurrection, repercussion of the resurrection, is that the resurrection drives us to be in awe and worship God's power and magnificence. The resurrection drives us to be in awe and to worship God's power and magnificence. And this morning as we sing, as we worship, as we read God's Word, I I pray that you go away with a sense of awe at what happened 2,000 years ago. A sense of amazement. The women fell at his feet and worshipped him. There was awe and worship. In Mark sixteen eight, and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. In Luke twenty four twelve, when Jesus first appears to the disciples, well actually when, when Peter and John go to the tomb, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. 
The resurrection was an incredible display of God's power that we should marvel at. And I have to confess, sometimes I've heard the story so much that I take it for granted. Yes, Jesus rose. Yes, I'm excited about it. But am I marveling at it? We don't see every day someone resurrected from the dead. This is an amazing thing. In our lives, we struggle with death. We have loved ones that die. And some of you have had loved ones this last year pass away. And it's one of those things that we cannot overcome. And Christ, on that Sunday morning, overcame death. That's amazing. That's something that should always amaze us and continue to amaze us because it's an acknowledgement of His greatness, His magnificence. John Stott said, His death was natural, but His resurrection was supernatural. And so I pray that, that Easter is just one of many days that remind us of the power of the resurrection, the magnificence of the resurrection. I think of some of the, the most incredible times in my life and incredible sights. I think of summoning Mount Whitney for the first time. And you get to the top and you come over the, you're, you're on the backside and you come over the shoulder of Mount Whitney and the whole Owens Valley is spread out before you and you can see mountain ranges and you can see incredible views. It's nothing compared to the resurrection. And night, When you're away from the city, you see a sky full of stars and our reaction is awe and wonder. And that's nothing compared to the resurrection. I get to stand up here alongside grooms as they see their bride walking down the aisle for the very first time and their mouths drop open and the drool is coming out. It's just this amazing sight. And that's nothing compared to the resurrection. I was talking with someone this week that was describing the awe and wonder of holding their first child for the very first time. And that's nothing compared to the resurrection. We are to be in awe of the majesty of God, the victory of God, the power of God. The resurrection trumps all those things. Don't get used to it. Don't get used to grace Don't get used to the cross, the message of salvation. Be amazed at it. Love it. Enjoy it. I can remember growing up and I had this hamster and I raised hamster and I loved this hamster. And, and I had this little clear ball. I don't know if you remember those. You put the hamster inside and you roll it around and, or or they roll it around, sorry. And, um, (laughs) slip of the tongue. And I was going out in the garage one day. And, and I tripped as I went out in the garage. We have a concrete floor and I was holding this ball. Sorry for the animal lovers that are out there. And I tripped and the ball went bouncing across the garage floor. And I go running over to this ball and the hamster's just laying there on his back. I'm crying. Tears are going out. Pull it out and try a little hamster CPR and, um, no mouth to mouth, but, um, and I remember that still like it was today. And I remember making a box for it and, and putting this hamster in the box because I was going to bury it in the trash can. And um, about two hours later, the hamster lifts its head up and starts running around. I hadn't put it in the trash can yet. And I remember thinking, I raised this hamster from the dead. <laughs> no, I didn't. It was, it was knocked out cold, but I was amazed. And 
No one report me. <laughs> I was amazed that this hamster had come back to life, so to speak. And it was like, wow, this is a great day. Well, Jesus was in the grave, and on the third day, he rose again. After the Romans, who were skilled at death and skilled at ensuring death, had verified that he was dead, he rose again. And my little amazement as a child is nothing compared to the awe we should have of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is real. It doesn't happen every day. It proves God's power. And so it's right for us to worship and to sing our hearts out and to clap when people share what Christ has done. Because it's amazing. The first repercussion of the resurrection is it should drive us to awe and to worship. Second repercussion is that the resurrection confirms that Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be. It confirms that Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be. Listen to some of Jesus' claims, because these are extraordinary. John 14, 6 and 7, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know Him and have seen Him. He's claiming to be the only way to God. He's claiming to be God. He says, I and my Father are one. In John 11, 25-26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked. Extraordinary claims. And when someone makes extraordinary claims, what do we do? We verify them, right? We want to know. If, if, if one of you, Joe, I'm going to pick on you. I always like to pick on Joe. He's not wearing his Yankees hat today, so that's good. If Joe said, you know what, I am a major league caliber baseball player. What would I want to, what would I want to see? His stats. His stats. Let's go out to the field. Let's see if you can hit my fastball. No. <laughs> I want some verification, right? If one of you said, you know what, I am the best engineer at my work. I can write the best code. I can, I can create the best things. And I, I'd want to say, okay, show me. Show me some of your work. Let me see. I remember getting resumes in as, as I was screening new employees in, in the business world. I'd want to see some confirmation that what they said was actually who they are. Well, the resurrection was a stamp of confirmation like no other. Like no other. Because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he rose from the dead and brings us life. And he confirmed who he was. In Luke 24, 44, he's talking to them after the resurrection, to the disciples. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And we see a a connection there between the resurrection and proving the message of Christ. 
it's an incredible act of confirmation. If Jesus wasn't who he said he was, he wouldn't have had the power to rise from the dead. You may say, well, God can raise him from the dead. Well, if God didn't approve of what he said, if God didn't want to confirm what he said, he wouldn't have raised him from the dead. The resurrection confirms that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be. That leaves us with a choice. That leaves us with an incredible choice that Alex talked about this morning. Do we believe that he is who he said he was? This morning we're singing about, we're reading about that that act on the cross where he died to pay for our sins. He took my sin, he took your sin upon himself and paid the penalty that I should have been on that cross taking. Wow! And then he was buried and then he rose again showing that sin and, and death didn't even have power over him and he conquered it. And so this morning... The choice when we look at the resurrection is, do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe He died for your sins? Will you come to Him and will you trust Him? Today's the day to ask Him for forgiveness of sins. Today's the day to give Him your life because the resurrection proves that He is who He claimed to be. Third implication We know we can trust God with everything because He has power over all things, including death. We know that we can trust God with everything because He has power over all things, including death. Turn to 1 Peter 1, verse 18. 1 Peter 1, verse 18. And at the end of verse 21 of this section, we're going to see two things mentioned, which are point number 3 and point number 4. 1 Peter 1, 18-21. And Peter is talking about the gospel, Christ's death, his resurrection. And he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. And we could stop there. Who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory. We can be in awe and, and it could be amazing. But it goes on. And you see the word so. And it gives us a reason why He was raised from the dead and given glory. So that your faith and your hope are in God. So that your faith and your hope are in God. And think about faith and hope. Faith means to trust. It means to, to believe someone, but also to trust that they are able to do what they say. It's more of a present verb here. A, a verb that says, we trust Him now. Hope is more of a future saying, He can handle my future. And Peter is saying the resurrection gives us assurance of both. So point number three is we know we can trust God with everything because He has power over all things, including death. The resurrection... It settles who's in charge. It settles who has the most power. If Christ is not raised, then yes, sin is paid for, but sin is not conquered. Death still wins, and Christ is not preeminent. But in the resurrection, it says there is nothing more powerful than your God and my God. Nothing more powerful. And that's why we can trust Him. 
He is able. He is able. In Colossians 1, verse 18, it says, And He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, meaning the most important one raised from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. And the resurrection had the specific intent of showing that Christ rules over all things. Now just to put that into everyday life, because our faith and our trust is something we do now, that means there is no circumstance that I can be in that Christ can't rule over. There is no circumstance on this earth and no situation that can be pressing in on me so much and disturb me so much that my Lord and my God can't say I can handle that. He can handle death. So really, what do we have that compares? And that gives such an incredible confidence. It's why we trust Him and not other things. But yet we go to so many other things to try to feel better, to try to resolve situations, and we try to forget, maybe through, through drinking or drugs or other things that, that we heard about. And none of those are the answer because we're trusting in something other than the one who has conquered death. The resurrection matters. So why do we worry? Why do we worry? Why do we stay up all night tossing and turning, struggling to figure out solutions to situations when the solution is to trust God? To seek Him. To seek His Word for how to handle a situation. To come to Him and ask for forgiveness because many of our situations are situations we've gotten ourselves into. But God can still forgive. And He can still handle it. The resurrection proves that. The second part of that First Peter passage, remember we said it was so that your faith is in God. The second part is so that your hope is in God. And the fourth repercussion of the, the resurrection, the fourth implication that we have today is that the resurrection gives believers the confidence of eternity with Christ. It gives us the confidence of eternity with Christ that we know how the story ends. That nothing can keep me from eternity at my Savior's side. It's a bigger perspective that says, no matter what happens here, no matter what happens with the first death, as we talked about last week with Smyrna, no matter what happens here, I know my future. And I know my future is secure. And if that's where my future is, that, impl- that, that has implications for life here of how I live. So that your hope is in God. Just look up a little higher in that same chapter, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says we have a living hope because of the resurrection to an inheritance that is imperishable, it can't die, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He is alive. And we will be alive forever with Him. Imagine if someone was was walking a tightrope and 
you, you watch them walk and they fall off. Not a high one. They fall off. You watch them walk again and they fall off. You watch them walk again and they fall off. And then they come to you and say, you know, I'd like to carry you across. But let's go a little higher. What would you say to them? You're nuts. You're crazy. You can't do it. So there is no way you can help me do this. But we can't say that about Christ because He has risen from the dead. And so we have confidence that when we die, if we are believers, if we have put our trust in Him, He will raise us from the dead to spend eternity in heaven with Him. He's done it. He's proven that He has the power to do that. That changes everything. It has profound implications for how we live life now. Because it allows us to take risks for God. I'm not talking about being foolish, but take risks for God. Missionary John G. Patton, who had a wonderful missionary life, he was, he was in the process of trying to decide whether or not to go to the field. And the place where he was going was a place that was known for cannibalism. And his mentor, when he heard, and, and, and John wrote and said, what do you think? His mentor exploded, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. Just 19 years ago, a couple that they had sent was killed and eaten. And this was Patton's response. Listen to it and think of the resurrection and our hope that is secure. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. His perspective was eternal. This isn't where it's at. It's about that I'm going to be risen and I'm going to be raised into life with Christ. And so I can take a risk for Christ because it doesn't change my future. And so the resurrection One of the repercussions of the resurrection is hope. It's hope that says, I know that I'm going to spend eternity with Christ, and so I can live for Him now without fear. It doesn't matter what anyone says to me, the ridicule. It doesn't matter what what happens if I take a stand for Christ. What matters is an eternity with Christ. Finally, the last implication we want to talk about today, and these are just five Um, If you want to look at some more implications of the resurrection, I encourage a book called Risen, 50 Implications of the Resurrection. We don't have time for 50 this morning. But finally, number five, Jesus Christ is alive today, giving us life now. Jesus Christ is alive today, giving us life now. We serve a living God. Not one that is dead, not one that we are serving the memory of, but one that if we believe in Him is living inside me and giving me new life now. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Our last passage for the morning. Pastor Andrew read some of this as we started our baptisms. A powerful passage that talks about the the part the cross plays and the part the resurrection plays in the Gospel. And at the cross, Christ paid for the penalty of sin. He took care of the the payment for sin at the cross. But the resurrection is reversing the effects of sin. 
It is restoring us to new life, giving us hope of new life. And both are essential. And we see that in Romans 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I would underline that, highlight that. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The resurrection and walking with God isn't just about an eternity with God. It isn't just about an eternity in heaven. It is about living with God right here, right now, today as we walk out that door. He is walking with those who believe and saying, I am with you. And you have new life now. Your life has changed. And that is such an incredible message to a world that is lost, to a world that is struggling under the slavery of sin and feels like there is nothing we can do to get out from under sin. We read the news and we read the, the, the dilemmas of the day and the debates of the day and it's like, okay, society is falling apart. But Christ is living with us, giving us new life. I don't have to walk this life alone. Let's read on at verse 5. Because you'll see both dead to sin and alive to God. Dead to sin and alive to God. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, the payment for sin, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And you see the hope of being resurrected eventually. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. And so the cross, as Jesus hung there, He took our sin upon Himself and and paid for it in our place. It is gone. It is dead. We no longer are enslaved. Those that believe are no longer enslaved to sin. Now, by our old nature and by our own choice, we allow sin hold. But we have the tools to defeat it. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In verse 8, the story turns to the resurrection. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died to sin once and for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. And verse 11 just culminates this whole thought. Talks about what the resurrection should mean to us. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're alive. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are alive now. And we are called to live for God. How do we live? How do we live for God? How do we show that we're alive to God? And Paul answers that question if you read on. Verses 12 through 14. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. And where Paul goes with this, what he means in verse 12, is he says, sin no longer is what you live for, so don't present yourselves available for sin. And, and presenting yourselves available for something is, is putting yourselves at the disposal of something. If I, put myself, if I put myself at your disposal, what can you do? You can tell me to do whatever you want, right? I could be washing your car, cleaning your house, doing whatever, weeding your yard. I'm at your disposal. And Paul says, because of the death and resurrection, because of your new life, don't put yourself at the disposal of sin any longer. Don't open the door. And so it's a call to look at our lives and to say, have we let sin have a foothold in any way? Because if I have, I am not honoring the resurrection that we celebrate today. Christ died so I could have new life. He rose so I could have new life. And so my responsibility is to live new life. To not offer myself up for sin, but then Paul goes on to say, but offer yourselves up to God. Put yourself at God's disposal. That's the message of the resurrection. He gave us life to be lived in Him, so put yourself at His disposal. Let Him do whatever He wants through you. Let's stand up and take risks for God. Let's serve Him. Let's make sure people know that we are celebrating the resurrection today. Social media is a great way to do it. I would love for everyone here to post something today that says, He is risen. I serve a risen Savior. Let's stand up and put ourselves at God's disposal and do His work and watch Him do incredible things through our lives. The resurrection matters. It matters even today. It should, it should build an awe and a wonder. It gives us a trust in God, an ability to trust in God because He can do anything. It gives us hope in a future. It, it ensures us that He is who He says He is. And it means we're to live life in Him. That is the challenge of the day. That is the message of the day. Dear Lord God, thank You for the resurrection. We are in awe and wonder of it because there is nothing like it and it shows your power beyond all. And Lord, I pray that, that I would stop any parts of my life that are living for myself and under my own power and trust you and seek you. Lord, I pray for us as a church that we would stand up for you and take risks for you because we have the greatest message that has ever been told. Thank you for new life. Thank you for walking life with us now, even when it's hard. Thank you for confidence, security, and a hope of eternity with you. We owe you our lives, a life debt. And Lord, as we remember your work on the cross, convict us and stir in us to how we could live for you this week and every week. In Jesus' name, amen.